This is the Delivery Space podcast. Whether you're interested in software delivery, business change or transformation, we've got some great content lined up for you. We launch into different areas of project delivery and bring you those insights and experiences that you don't get from a book. Welcome, it's Sharon and this is our episode on how PMOs can help organisations at low level of PM maturity. Ken, welcome to the podcast. Hi Sharon, thanks for having me on. Thank you very much for joining us and I'm really looking forward to um, discussing this topic because I know it's one that we both come um, you know, into contact with a lot with the various clients that we work with so I'm looking forward to you sharing your insights on it. But before we get straight into it, are you okay to give a bit of an introduction to our listeners so they know a little bit more about you? I'm Ken Burrell, and together with my business partner, Nicole Riley, I run the PMO Professionals, a boutique PMO consultancy. So my background is in chemical engineering. Um, I've worked in the brewing industry and in small-scale manufacturing, where I first started doing project management, moved from there to financial services. And then after a while, I set up my own small contracting company and joined forces with Nicole. And now, as I say, we provide PMO services to various clients, including retail, um, public sector and financial services. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. And thank you again uh, uh, very much for joining us on the podcast. So I'm going to get straight in with our first question then. So how can a PMO bring benefits to an organisation? Um, I know it's quite broad what we do. So what specifically do you think they can bring to organisations? Well, I think there's there's a lot of ways that a PMO can bring benefits to an organisation. But um, what I want to focus on today is particularly low project management maturity. So if you look at the kind of conversations and debate that goes on uh, on platforms such as LinkedIn, you find people talking a lot about stuff like AI or machine learning and the difference between the two, predictive analytics, robotic process automation, low code apps, PPM tools and all that sort of stuff. Um, and they're great if you have uh, if you have the right level of maturity to take advantage of that sort of stuff. Um, but what I find is that there's a huge gulf between that kind of conversation and that level of sophistication. And uh, a lot of the clients that I work with and Nicole works with day to day, those guys benefit from help at a much more fundamental level. Um, because they are low project management maturity organisations, they simply can't take advantage of of those kinds of things like AI and uh, data analytics. Yeah, and I think um, you know I'd have to agree with you there. It really does depend on the maturity of the organisation. Um, it's almost just getting the foundation set up, isn't it, Absolutely. and getting that foundation in place first before you try and leap to kind of like the platinum plated solution. Yeah, yeah those, those things are great, but you have to have a basic level of uh, project management capability, maturity in place before you can really get the benefit of those kinds of approaches. Absolutely. So whilst we're talking about project management maturity then, what exactly is it? I think it'd be good to just explain that for our listeners and then also explain what you've seen in terms of what low maturity organisations look like? Okay. Um, well, project management maturity is essentially a continuum of um, sophistication, if you like, uh, of, of how an organisation deals 
um, deals with running projects and the, the approaches that they use. Um, there are many project management maturity models out there, but essentially at the low levels, um, so generally they, they have uh, levels from zero to five, but at, 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 a, at a really low level, zero you might call it, they're completely unaware that projects are any different from operations or business as usual. Um, so they don't have any, any special approaches for running projects, they just do stuff. Um, at the next level up from that, they're aware that there's a difference, but they're not quite sure what they need to do differently. Next level up from that, they might have some project management processes defined, but maybe not applied very often or applied inconsistently. Um, next level up from that, so around about a three, should we say, they have processes and they apply them repeatedly and consistently to the projects that they run. Um, at level four or in the next level up, uh, those processes are managed in the sense that they're monitored and improved. Um, and at the highest levels, the, the, the processes are really quite well tuned and they're very optimized and continuously improved. Um, and, and those guys are really on top of how they run projects and how they, how they maintain their own methodology. So if an organization is in the, the lower half of that maturity continuum, then they really need help with some of the much more basic stuff than, than uh, PPM tools or AI analytics, that kind of stuff. So they, yeah. they, they need not to be distracted by the shiny objects in the sky <laughs> that, that, um, that, that would be great to aim towards, but um, those guys would probably benefit more from focusing their attention in the grassroots on the ground. Agree. Or even yeah. below the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely agree with that from, from what I've seen as well. It's, it is all about getting that solid foundation um, before trying to leap to bringing in some of these tools because, you know, no matter how great the tool is, if you've not got that foundation in place, it just won't serve you in the way yep. that you think, you know, it should. So yep. I'm totally on board with you there. The, the analogy that I always use in this situation is that um, buying a Stradivarius, fantastic violin, won't make you a great violin player. Um, Indeed. In order to get the best out of that Stradivarius, you need to be a pretty good violin player already. Um, and a good violin player can probably get some pretty good tunes out of a not so good violin. <laughs> good example there that everyone can relate to so how can pmo thinking help with low maturity organizations and what is it that we bring what is it that we do for the organizations out there who are listening to this and don't know what we can do to help them think so what what can we do well i think it's important as we mentioned before um to start with the basics um so at the most basic level projects is about getting stuff done yes um but that needs to be done intelligently um so we need to we it helps for example to have a list of all the active and pipeline projects that are going on in the organization with some information about each one like the sponsor um the main driver for doing that project whether it's run the run the business change the business grow the business when we're expecting that project to go live and what we're expecting that project to cost so that we can answer what I call the basic project questions about those projects. What are we delivering with who and when? How much is it going to cost? Are we on track? And is it still worth it? Is it still worth doing those projects? So in order to help us do that sort of stuff, um, a lot of it is about standardization, I think. 
Um, not for the sake of it uh, or because we like telling people what to do, but to reduce the amount of noise and ambiguity and surprises that happen around projects. Um, for example, life cycle stages, the, de the defining the stages that a project goes through, um, not to force waterfall on top of everything, but um, so that you know whereabouts a project is in its life cycle, um, whether it's been allocated funding, when it's likely to complete. Uh, when the team is likely to be able to become available again uh, and all that sort of stuff. And, it, and it's important to be using the same terminology across the whole portfolio of projects. Otherwise, you won't know whether execution is the same as in-flight, um, whether feasibility is the same as discovery, that kind of stuff. You, I mean, yeah. you, can get a, you can get a sense, but uh, if you're using the same words, then you can understand what the flow is of projects through the portfolio. And you can start to think about um, when it might be appropriate to start a new project without having to get in extra resources, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And um, obviously in the same. So, you know, when it comes to like reporting and really understanding what's happening in the business, if you've got everyone kind of doing their own thing, it makes it very, very difficult to consolidate all of yeah. that information. And yeah. really understand what the data is telling you. Yeah. So you're right, there has to be some kind of consistency across the portfolio in order to help facilitate key decision making as well. Yeah. So that one you mentioned about data there. So if you can get people to keep the same kind of data in the same format across the project portfolio, it does make it so much easier to roll up stuff like uh, cost forecast and actuals, um, risks and issues, uh, schedule task milestones, that kind of stuff. So if you, can, if you can decide what the pieces of data are that each project is expected to keep and how they keep it, um, you can roll all that stuff up. And once, you, once you've done that, um, at portfolio level, for example, it enables, you to, it enables you to answer questions like whether you expect to spend all the money that was forecast for a, a, a given financial year um, whether whether all the delivery that was planned for that financial year can fit inside that forecast and whether we can afford to start a new project or divert some leftover money to operations or maybe book some more project, uh, profit and give it back to shareholders. Um, but that's, that's a data one. So as, as, as well, thinking about things like um, RAG status definitions. So everybody has a kind of intuitive sense of what red, amber and green mean, but depending on how individuals interpret particularly amber yeah. um you can get variations in how people report um and the borders between the 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 rag mm. categories um start to get a bit blurry so if you can get everyone to use the same definitions and you can actually put numerical definitions around those particularly around things like cost and time um then it helps again with aggregation and it helps you to be able to compare projects across the portfolio um, and to to have a much better picture of how things are doing and how, and and what the risks are to delivery. Absolutely, and it just brings that control in place, doesn't it? So, and I think particularly in the um, current climate that we're working in, you know, going through the whole pandemic, when a lot of organisations are having to look for efficiencies and you know look at ways how to take costs out of the business and streamline processes. All of these things that you've described, you know, managing your risks, understanding the data are critical, yeah. really, to yeah. the smooth um, running of business and can be critical in helping make sure that a business survives. Yeah. 
So you mentioned efficiency just then. So to, to, to um, just going back to, to how the PMO can help. So I think um, there are two aspects to this. There's, there's an aspect of improving um, the effectiveness of how projects are delivered. That is to say, getting the results that we want from running projects. So there's effectiveness. But there's also um, an aspect of improving the efficiency of how projects are run. So um, getting those results whilst using the minimum amount of resources with the minimum waste. So if we think about yeah. improving the effectiveness of a project portfolio in a really low maturity organisation, that can come from some something as simple as improving the way that meetings are run. Um, and it's one of the first things that I find uh, clients at that level of maturity tell me is a benefit of having um, a PMO professional in their organisation. Mm -hmm. Just getting the meetings to run effectively um, and to achieve what they set out to do. And I mean, that's yeah. really basic stuff like having, a, having terms of reference for, for, for the meeting, for the, for the governance group, having an agenda, making sure you stick to it, running things on time, um, that kind of stuff. I think that's a really good example, though, of the meetings, because We've probably all been in a meeting where we think, what is the point of this? Yeah. And there's, you know, a cast of thousands. Yeah. Like you said, it might not be well um, organised. People aren't sure why they're there, what they should be contributing. And it's just waste. Yeah. And I think, you know, meetings is something that every organisation has. So it's a really good one to, you know, look at first, like you said, and then build from there. Well, what's what's even worse than that is getting to the end of the meeting and not knowing what it was that the meeting achieved, if anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the documenting yeah. the outcomes. Yes. Yeah. Just frustrates people and is a complete waste. Yes. So, Ken, when should um, when should this activity start then in terms of trying to improve the maturity of an organisation and how should people order it? Is there a, a suggested way that you think? Well, um, I, I, I would say that the, the, the thing to do is to start with the thing that's causing the most pain at any given time. Um, but it's not always obvious from the pain um, what, the, what the remedy is. Mm. Um, let me explain that. So, for example, I've had a situation where um, I, I've been with a client um, and the executives at the client are, are asking the question, what are we getting back for our project spend? Which sounds like a simple question, but there's actually quite a bit to unpack there. Um, if you look at the question at face value, it sounds like benefits realisation monitoring. And yes, there is an element of benefits realisation monitoring within it. But to answer that question properly, you need to know what projects are in the portfolio. Um, and if you're in a low maturity organisation, you might not know what projects are in the portfolio. Mm -hmm. The client might not have uh, a, a, an active project portfolio list. So there's that. You need to know the cost of each one. Um, a low maturity client might not be monitoring the cost of projects or not all of them anyway. Um, and you need to know the benefits of each one and how that stacks up against the cost. So there's three things there. Um, it looks like benefits monitoring, but you have to do all those first. So in order to sort that out, you need to have a project list which doesn't contain duplicates. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen this, but you, you, go, you maybe go into a client and um, uh, um, or one person talks about project A, but um, when you collect the finance data, 
Um, they call it Project B because when it was first set up, it was Project B. Um, but then they changed the name to Project A, and it doesn't. Yeah. It hasn't all been synchronized. So you need to have a, you need to have a, a list of all the projects without any duplicates in it. Um, you need to have those cost forecasts and cost monitoring, which may not be happening if you have a sort of organization that doesn't do business cases, the sort of organization where an exec can say JFDI and projects mm -hmm. just happen. Yeah, um, it may there. not be. <laughs> yeah, it may not be worth tracking cost because um, the exec said so. So it doesn't matter what the cost is. We just get on and do it. Um, you probably need to have uh, regular reforecasting of project costs to, to make changes in light of things that have happened. Um, and you need to have benefits forecasts. And again, you may not have proper benefit forecasting if you have execs with pet projects or JFDI projects because they just happen. So most of that stuff that we've just been talking about, a project list costs and benefit forecasting, would come from a project selection process with um, business cases or cost benefit analyses. So that's another thing that needs to be in place um, to, to fulfill that request. And you need to set baselines and that kind of stuff. Um, so it sounds like benefits realisation, but it needs to be traced backwards to yes. work out what those things are and, and uh, what, sort of, what sort of order they need to go in. So, I mean, the first thing there has got to be the project list, yeah. then business yeah. cases, then cost monitoring, then benefit forecasting. There's quite a bit, isn't there, like you said, in terms of getting that logical flow. Of, um, of things that you need to have in place so you can kind of get to that end result. And um, and like you said, some organisations might not have any of this. So it is just working with them to start from the basics and guiding them through and then and then building on it. Yeah. Um, totally right. Yeah. When should organisations start this then? <laughs> the time to start is when the organisation feels the pain. So if you have, as, as I did in that client, um, execs asking, what are we getting back for our project spend? So that, that's an expression of pain. That's an expression of them feeling uh, that they don't have the control or the overview that they would like to have of the projects that they've got going on in the portfolio. So that's a good time to start. Um, if you find yourself thinking uh, about questions like how much do we spend on change? How much do we get back for it? Who do we use and what are they working on? Um, and if you're having trouble answering, answering those basic project questions that I said at the beginning, what are we delivering with who and when? How much is it going to cost? Are we still on track and is it still worth it? If you're having difficulty answering those questions, then you might want to put some organisation around your project portfolio and i would say that if you're having trouble answering those questions then rather than getting distracted by those shiny objects that we talked about at the top um so the ai the data analytics the low code apps and all the rest of it don't you you might benefit from not getting distracted by those shiny ob objects and, and start with a few boring basics um like some of the other stuff that we've mentioned yeah, and I'd echo that because I think once you get those basics, you can then build upon that foundation. Yeah. And that can be quite transformational, um, yeah. you know, to any business. So focus on some of those basic principles as, as Ken's discussed. And it really can be quite radically changing that now, you know, you're able to understand and interpret your data and use that to help you make informed decisions mm -hmm. so yeah i'd echo the don't get distracted by the big shiny uh, there's time for that 
<laughs> there's absolutely a time and a place for that. But, but until it, it, you've got your foundation sorted, right. it's not going to help you anyway, is it? Yeah. I mean, the stuff we've been talking about, it's, it's, it's not sexy, it's not glamorous, but getting those things right will make a huge difference if you're at that maturity level. It will make a huge difference to the way that your projects run in your organisation. Um, and if you were to try and do some of the other stuff, it wouldn't help you anyway without that stuff in place, without yeah. the basics. Yeah, totally agree with, with you there, Ken. Ken, thank you so much for uh, sharing your insights on that topic uh, in this podcast today. Are there any particular key takeaways that you want to leave our uh, listeners with? Yeah, I would I would say that if you're at a low level of maturity, um, don't get distracted by the shiny objects of um, what you hear being discussed on LinkedIn. Um, start with the boring basics, and those are the things that will make a real difference to the way that you deliver your projects. Um, and if you need some help from that, you know where we are. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Ken. Um, Ken, if people want to reach out to you or find you or work with you, what's the best way for them to connect with you or, or get in touch with you? Okay, Doke. Uh, the best way to, to find us is at thepmoprofessionals.com, all one word. Um, and you can also find Nicole Riley and me, Ken Burrell, on LinkedIn. Thank you very much. Thank you to everybody for watching and listening. Make sure you look out for our next video and please like, follow and subscribe. Bye for now.